presentation. Your pastor asked me to spend a few minutes uh, before we get into our message this morning talking about the radio ministry at KFAX and the fact that uh, uh, you guys now have a presence there, which I'm truly excited about and uh, grateful for. Um, There are always those who will say, well, why do we need to do radio? Isn't the pulpit ministry good enough? Isn't what we do here at the church good enough? And it is. Uh, But radio can take the pulpit ministry of this church as well as other churches and broaden it. You're now a megachurch, believe it or not. (laughs) This afternoon, you will have several thousand people joining you as they hear your pastor preach the word. And that has a profound effect on an awful lot of folks, especially when you take into consideration the 41% of the people who listen to KFAX don't go to church. About 32% of those will tell you they are not Christians. In fact, they have one question as they tune into KFAX, does God exist? And we have the great privilege and pleasure of saying, yes, he does. And here, let me prove it. And along the lines of proving it, just a couple of, well, three quick anecdotal stories. Nine years ago, uh, Craig Roberts is hosting Lifeline, uh, and his subject is suicide. And we're talking about the, the, the Christian perspective on suicide. Wanda Sanchez, our producer, is in the other studio, and I'm off to the side with Wanda in the back, and we're just going through this program, and we get a call from a man who had bought a one-way ticket from Chicago, picked up a rental car at the airport, and is on his way to the bridge to jump off and kill himself. He had lost everything. Drugs had ruined his life, his marriage, his family, his job, his house. He'd lost everything. And he was going to end it by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Well, unbeknownst to him, the only station that comes in as he's pressing these buttons is KFAX. Lo and behold, we're talking about suicide, the very thing he wants to do. After about 15, 20 minutes with this gentleman on the air, we put him on hold. Wanda Sanchez brings him back up in the studio, spends a few more minutes with him. Long story short, he becomes a Christian, goes back home. God restores everything, family, job, everything. To this day, he keeps in touch with Wanda at least once a year just to let us know that he's thriving in the church he's at. I love Paul Harvey, so there is a Paul Harvey aspect to this. Let's rewind about a month before this actual program. Craig Roberts, not his real last name, is at his church here on the peninsula, small little Italian Baptist church, small, about this size. And they get a visitor, and Craig's out there greeting friends and family as they come to church, and he sees this gentleman, and he says, Hi, my name is Craig, not his real last name, <laughs> insert it here, and you are? He says, and the guy mentions his name, and Craig says, Yeah, well, what do you do? You're just visiting? What do you do? He says, Oh, I'm in radio ministry. Now, Craig Roberts has been in radio here in the Bay Area since Moses was a child, knows virtually everybody. It is a small community. We know everyone, whether you're in Christian broadcasting or not. So he said, oh, really? What do you do? He says, oh, I'm in Christian broadcasting. Well, now we're the only game in town. Craig does the hiring and firing. To his knowledge, he didn't hire this guy. 
So with an eyebrow raised, he said, really? And what would that be? He said, oh, I work for KFAX, but not really. I'm at the airport. I clean all the rental cars, and the last thing I do is I preset KFAX on all the buttons. <laughs> Fast forward nine years, and um, Craig is at the Crisis Pregnancy Center this past November. Uh, he is the host and MC every year. Uh, they get a keynote speaker in, but he MCs the thing and hosts it for, for this uh, event every year. They bring in about 800 folks to this annual banquet. And uh, he sat down after inter- introducing himself and lining out the agenda and uh, time to eat your rubber chicken. Let's, let's eat. And they all sit down to eat the rubber chicken. And this woman comes around to the side, one of the waitresses, one of the servers. Can I get you some coffee, young man? And to which he says, well, for that young man bit, I have to owe you a tip. She put the coffee pot down and leaned down and said, you owe me nothing. I recognize your voice. This is tough. Still is. She said, 13 years ago, I heard that voice. And as I was in the back and you were talking, immediately I recognized that voice. I've never heard it since, though I've tried. But 13 years ago, my boyfriend and I were in the parking lot of an abortion clinic, and I was pregnant. You were talking about the sanctity of life, and after about 40 minutes, I couldn't do it. I'm here to tell you that my 13-year-old daughter is the pride of my life. That's the power of radio. That's what you, Grace Bible Church, have set out to endeavor in. That kind of ability to change lives happens every Sunday when Graceful Truth airs on KFAX. Final delightful story I love to tell. Battle Cry. Any of you younger folks remember Battle Cry three years ago? Ron Luce. City of San Francisco, as wonderful as they are towards Christians, decided that we couldn't use electronic noise before 9 a.m. Thinking they would shut down the worship time on a Saturday morning at Pac Bell Park. So they set a decibel limit. Before 9 a.m., we couldn't go over it, thinking that would shut down the electronic portion of the worship. So what we did was we utilized KFAX and told everybody the night before, a couple of days before, to make sure to bring a little portable radio and tune into KFAX. And then we rerouted all of the stage music instead of to the PA system to a board that switched it to KFAX so people could hear it on the radio with their headphones and portable radios. Decibel level exceeded the limit by 15 decibels, and they could do nothing because they themselves stipulated it had to be electronic, nothing about a cappella or natural. Um, You can't do that with a podcast. You can't do that with an iPod as good as those things are. I give you those to let you know 
again, you have embarked on a marvelous endeavor. My plea to you this morning is to pray for it. Don't put it on the back burner. Don't put it on the back shelf. Don't think that now that it's on good enough, we can go on to other things. This is just like a missionary that you pray for on a weekly basis. The, the success of this ministry depends upon the prayers of the people behind it. It will stand or fall based on how you treat it as a congregation. If you treat it as an outreach of this church, as an extension of this church, and if you pray for this as you pray for your pastor Saturday nights and throughout the week, I can tell you that this will be a marvelous extension of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, and you will see amazing fruit, and God will use it. But you need to pray. That is my snippet on radio ministry. Now let's get into God's word, shall we? John chapter 3. And let me just read the verse that I would like to spend our time together on this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Father, what we are about to do is pointless and useless unless you attend us with your spirit. Please give me the words to speak with the right heart right frame of mind and then give us the ability to hear to obey and to enjoy and relish in your deep love for us if you don't go before us as Moses said we, we can't move we won't move this is about you not about us when we go away from this place father may it not be the skills of the man speaking, the oratory expertise, but rather would it be the great love that you have for us that is on our lips, that is in our hearts, in our minds. Attend unto us now, Father. May we worship you with the preaching of your word, and we'll give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Christ's name, amen. Oftentimes, you tend to want to stay away from those big verses. They're so big, you can easily get lost in them. And for years, I did just that. John 3.16, in my mind, was too big for me to tackle. I wasn't about to do it unless I had maybe five months, and even then, I knew halfway into it, I'd be lost, and I wouldn't know where to go. And then, as God is often wont to do, he said, no, wait a minute, there is something here I think you could probably hang on to. So here it is. And so this morning, I would like to look at just three points out of this amazing text. The object of divine affection, the depth of this divine affection, and the breadth of this divine affection 
I noticed in your bulletin you have a whole blank page. So for note takers, there it is. Those are your three points I want to look at this morning. It is the most often quoted verse, most cited. Rainbow-wigged guys love portraying it at all football games at each end zone. And that's been going on for years. Sadly, though, like the ichthus on your car or those WWDJ bracelets, this verse has become more of a symbol of Christian culture rather than what it really is, a revelation of God himself. The light and often flippant use of this verse has left many believers thinking that what you need is love and, well, one option is God. He loves you and needs you, and so you need to love him back. What I want to do for you this morning is try and restore for you an understanding of the depth of this verse and what it really means, what it really is saying to us. So first, let's take a look at the object of this great love. For God so loved the world. Now, there are those who have taken this verse and have used this verse to show a specific position in theology. Does God love everybody or does he love the elect? Does he love a few or does he love a lot? Who in the world does he love? Now, there are plenty of verses in God's word where you can go to that, that verse and sufficiently work through that argument. This is not one of those verses, beloved. If you endeavor... To partake of that argument, please leave this verse out. It does not belong. And D.A. Carson is extremely helpful on this point. One of, the, one of the best New Testament Greek guys that we have helps us out when he shows us, rightly so, that John is very specific in the whole gospel when he uses this word cosmos. It's specific in that it describes for us, John uses it in a way that describes not the breadth of humanity, but the depth of humanity. Not every man, woman, and child, but just how bad every man, woman, and child is. John 1, 29, mark these down. John 7, verse 7. John 8, verse 23. John 12, verse 19. And John 14, verse 30. Just a few examples takes away the sin of the world. The world cannot hate you because you are of the world. I am not of this world. The whole world has gone after him. Pharisees looking down their long, self-righteous, egotistical noses thinking they're better than all the riffraff that's chasing after Jesus. You see, again, this is not indicative of numbers but rather position. What John says and what John does in this entire gospel start to finish is lay out for you just how bad humanity really is. John uses a few other examples, even from numbers, to show just how rebellious and wicked we are in our very own chapter here, verse chapter 3. Verses 14 through 15. Verse 3, we're not fit for godly relationships because of what the world is like.
This is our Creator speaking about us in His Bible. Hearts are bent only on evil all the time. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. So, we start to get a picture painted for us of just exactly who God has set his affections on. Has he set his affection on the lovely? Has he set his affection on the righteous? Has he set his affection on the healthy? No. That is not what he came for. He came to heal the sick. He came to set the captives free. He came for the unrighteous, the unlovely. The publican who couldn't even look to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Not the Pharisee. My question to you this morning then is, have you been there? Do you know this to be true in your life? If I were to ask you this morning, are you a part of John's world? Would you say yes? Where do you stand? He loves because of grace. And we've all heard it. See how valuable we are? If there was just one sinner on this world, you're so valuable, Jesus would die for you. Have you heard that? How many times have you heard that preached? Countless times. I remember when Jeffrey Dahmer was finally caught Stuffed him in, and the big thing then, this was a long time ago, but the big thing back then was the million dollar bail that was set on him. Ooh. Interesting enough, there was a petty thief who'd been arrested for drunken disorderly the night before in, in a few jail cells down. Bail was set at a thousand. Was Dahmer's bail set at a million because he was so valuable, so precious? His sin was so heinous. Your bail, beloved, is not a few coins. It's the precious blood of Christ. And not because you are precious, but because that sin that is in you is so heinous, so vile, so evil, that it took more than just a few dollars to redeem you. You see, once this priority is set, then you start to get a true picture of grace and the affection that God does have for you. Are we worthy or deserving of this love? Certainly not. But love us, he does. Are Paul's words your words? Are you a chief among sinners? Do you know yourself to be that? You see, this is where we must start. Those of us in Christ know this. And those of us outside of Christ, you need to know this. Have you used God's mirror? Have you seen the pride that says you are better than that family over there? I haven't done this. Oh, I'm not as bad as that guy over there. I've never been in jail. I've never gotten a speeding ticket. Haven't broken any laws. But you see, that's just it, isn't it? That's the problem. You've been good all your life. Not like the others. You're trusting and resting in something that is inherent within you that you think is going to get you where you need to be. We never want God to really save us, do we? If we're quite honest with ourselves, 
You see, we only want him to help us. God, you help me and I'll save myself. If we're honest with ourselves, that's exactly where we tend to think. Maybe you've done things that you're not proud of. You see in your mind they're just mistakes. You're a victim of circumstances. You didn't mean it. And really, I'm still an okay person. God knows my heart. He knows I'm trying. But see, that's just it. Again, you are trying. We're all trying. Our pride says our doing can please God better than his son's doing can do so. That's our sinful nature, beloved. Even a sinful past can be a source of pride. You've escaped. See how good you are. But all this is the superficial outworking of the sinfulness of the heart. And it all depends upon what you do when the Bible takes you right back to who you are. Never lose sight of that. It's not what you do that makes you a sinner. It's who you are that makes you do what you do to prove you're a sinner. It's not for a few sins that God sends his son to die on a cross. It's for that sin nature that is inherent within you that he comes to take care of. So this is who God sets his affections on. Vile, sinful wretches. That's all we are. At the end of the day, that's all we are. That brings about for us an amazing contrast because as we begin to grasp this picture of who we are, the glory of God starts to shine a bit more brightly, doesn't it? Really, Andy, if what you're saying is really true, if all of that is actually correct, God loves that? Yes. Yes, he does. He really, really loves, really? Yes. For God so loved the world. We all have those people in our lives, don't we, that we just can't stand. Right? We call them sandpaper people. Yeah? It's a fact of life. Sin does that. Take that one person in your mind, the one that you are just barely civil to, because you're a Christian and you have to be. If you weren't a Christian, that person, man, give me a gun. I'm taking them out. But because you're a Christian, you at least have to be civil. You got that person in your mind? That's who you are to God. And he goes well beyond just being civil. He sets his affections on us. He loves us with an everlasting love. You are mine and I am yours. He makes precious promises to us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Man, isn't that just amazing? Doesn't that just boggle your mind? That God would do that to the likes of us amazes me every time I wake up in the morning. I, I, I think, my goodness, me, I don't get it. 
God sets his affections on us and this great love that knows no end, the depths of which is bottomless. That brings me to my second point, the depths of God's love. He gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son. You see, this is a sacrificial love in, in, in the grand scheme of things. He didn't give something that he had more of, like Ted Turner. Remember that? He gave a billion dollars to the UN, and he's got another $10 billion sitting on this. That wasn't a sacrifice. No, a sacrifice involves an exhausting of one's self, giving, giving of all that you've got with no reserve left. He didn't just give a son. He gave the son, his only son. He didn't give a cousin. He didn't give an uncle. He didn't give an aunt. He didn't give an angel. He gave his only son, which in the mystery of the triune God, he gave himself. Further, the sacrifice is not just the giving of a son for the purpose of leading the way. This isn't a send the son to show the good moral way thing. That's not a sacrifice either. No, the sacrifice is one that involves the death of his son at his own hand. You and your sin, technically speaking, do not kill Jesus. You know that. To be sure, the death is for the express purpose of dealing with your sin. And as I just mentioned, it's a ransom. It's a, it's a bail. It's a price set on your head. It's, it's the Father and the Son conducting a transaction. The price for your sin and my sin is eternal death. We've offended an eternal being. I don't have the currency to pay that off, do you? To offend an eternal being brings about an eternal offense, which is requiring an eternal payment. Are you an eternal being? I'm not. I don't have what it takes to cover that kind of charge. That's why hell is forever. It's going to take forever to pay off a forever an offense. So I need something or someone who has the ability and capability to take care of that. The only one I know of is God. He's the only eternal being around, isn't he? And so he does. He holds a transaction, and you and I, much like the slaves on, on the block back in the 1700s, we're, we're oblivious to this. We're, we're off to the side. We have no say in it. I can't say yay or nay. It's the slave master dealing with, with the sacrificer for the slave owner. This thing is going on off to the side of us, and all we can do is stand on the sideline and in amazement, look on and go, somebody would actually want to redeem me? I don't even speak the language. It's not a passive father God who stands by wringing his hands with worry, asking the son if he is sure that he really wants to do this. The sacrifice involves the son, heinous death, and the father's full vent of his wrath. And I, I, I use literary license. This sacrifice exhausts the infinite. 
Let me say that again. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ exhausts the infinite. It's a full giving of oneself. Jesus is on that cross giving his all as much as an infinite being can give all. And when Jesus says it is finished and breathes his last, you can hear God in heaven going, it's done. Christ was able to satisfy his Father's eternal wrath in one afternoon. Nobody else can do that. That is the work of your elder brother. That is the work of a loving father who desires to restore that which he has created for his glory and his pleasure. The writer of Hebrews tells us that if we keep on sinning deliberately, no sacrifice for sin is left. Now, that is a whole sermon in and of itself, but underlying this statement is the fact that the giving of himself to pay for sin was so complete that there is nothing left for a second pass. The sacrifice is exhaustive, it's full, it's complete. Christ didn't show up three days before the cross, die, go to heaven, just to prove possible salvation as long as you can work out the obedience part. Nor did he hold back at any time during his life here on earth. You see, he was born as a baby. We just celebrated that. He lived a life as a child, as a young man, as an adult, and went to a cross as a man. So that virtually every aspect of your life and mine can fall under the reigning grace of Christ because he has been there. Our children are special. They're priceless. Because our Heavenly Father decided he would come as a child. He didn't bypass that step. He could have easily just shown up on earth as a 33-year-old three weeks later, go to the cross, die, and take care of it all. But his love for us is so complete and so exhausting that even our children are covered under that banner of grace because our elder brother, our God himself, came to this earth as an infant. He remembers our frame, remembers that we are but dust. The gift, the sacrifice God makes of his son is full and complete. Complete enough to take us to the breadth of this whole transaction. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Not temporary life. Not conditional life. Not once in a while life, but eternal life. Just as that gift was exhaustive from an eternal being, so the gift is equally exhaustive, inexhaustible. As I mentioned, it's oxymoronic to say or to claim that something infinite has been exhausted, but it's with poetic license that I do that. Uh, Just as he exhausts himself, that event buys for us 
something that is inexhaustible. If you're the recipient of this love, the object of this love, know this, it is eternal. It cannot end, and it won't end. It is forever. I remember a pastor friend of mine who was visiting when I was down in Visalia, and we took him to Yosemite. And he never, we'd never seen it before, wanted to see Yosemite, so we took him out, and we, uh, we got out to El Capitan. And you ever been to El Capitan, you're down at the base, and you're like this? Now, that's a precarious position. I don't know if you've ever stood like this, but, boy, it doesn't take much to knock you back on your keister when you're in that position. We're in this position, and uh, Don Whitney says, you know... If a sparrow were to come by and brush its wing on this thing once every thousand years until it's reduced to nothing, heaven will have just started. Yeah. Those, are, those are statements you don't want to say while you're looking like this. Man. It's like, Don, don't do that, man. I just got vertigo for a moment, man. That's heaven. He's absolutely right. We sing amazing grace when we've been there 10,000 years. And I got another pastor friend of mine, he says, when we've been, he sings it when we've been there 10 billion years, bright shining as the sun. It's endless. Now, quick, what heaven is not, all right? Heaven is not a place where we can realize our unfulfilled fantasies here on earth. Oh, man, it's going to be the perfect trout stream. Play the perfect golf game. Man, my piano playing is going to be brilliant. Going to never miss a beat on the drums. For you young kids, it is not a launch point for a five-year mission to go where no man's gone before. All right? That is not heaven. To think that way, beloved, is to throw God off of his throne in that place and put you and those unrealized, fleshly, earthly fantasies in there instead. Heaven is not a place, it is a person. It's not somewhere you go, it's a relationship. And that's not to say that we go there, because we do. It's not to say that we, live, we don't live there, because we will. But it is who is there that should captivate your heart this morning. And it takes us right back to the beginning, doesn't it? For God so loved the world. How much did he love the world? Enough to send his son. How much did he love the world, this evil, vile thing? Enough to restore them so they could spend eternity with him in his place, in his home, in his heaven. Wow. This is the God that you and I are worshiping right now. This is the God that has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the God who said, I will be your God and you will be my people. This is the God you got up this morning and got dressed to go worship. This is the God that has you sitting where you're at at this very moment. This is the God who loves you more than life itself. This God has set his affections upon you, has loved you with an everlasting love, 
and has said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have you spend eternity with me. I'm, I'm going to do that. I had a, had a friend I worked with back in Visalia. Uh, he, was my, he was my evening disc jockey at the radio station I worked for in Visalia. He was one of the first winners of the California lottery. Sheldon Vicks won a million dollars. You go from making almost 10000 a year to a million, that changes your life. Before he even got the check from the state of California, his first check, he had purchased his dream car, which was a 911 Porsche, old one, yep, bought a house, got a whole new wardrobe, and went down and bought a, 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 a ticket, a two-week cruise vacation in the Mediterranean before he got the money. Your God has loved you with this everlasting love. Your God purchased you with the blood of Christ. Your God has promised you eternity with him in heaven. Do you live like it? Can you take a page from Sheldon Vick's book? You're not home yet. You don't see the glory of God in that Shekinah glory that he has intrinsically in heaven. But do you live like it? Is your day ordered by this truth? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You've won much more than the California State Lottery. Your life is hid with Christ in God. Does this verse cause you every morning to get up and say, Oh, God, what can I do? You've given me everything pertaining to life and godliness. Let me live my life now in godliness. Show me, order my steps, direct my path. Every day is an amazing opportunity to spend what God has given us as a down payment for our eternal life with him. He did not give you the money to go hide it because he's a severe taskmaster. He gave you this to go spend it. My exhortation to you today is spend it. Spend your life as if there is no tomorrow. And when tomorrow comes, trust God to restore that life again so that it may be spent in the full yet one more day. Burnout factors, they don't exist. If you're operating in your own strength and in your own will, then yes, you will burn out this way. But if you are trusting God and his strength, if you are resting in his grace, if you are operating in his wisdom, Every day will be approached as if it is the first day. And you'll be able to spend yourself in amazing ways for the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for your word that, that quickens us 
helps shape us, moves us. Father, forgive us for the apathy, for the complacency, for the desire to please flesh rather than you. Lord, how often we have looked at people outside of your kingdom and have gone on nonchalantly as if it doesn't matter. May we weep for those who are lost and outside of your grace. Strengthen our feeble feet, Father. Stand us up on high places. Give us your heart. Give us your love for this thing called missions, evangelism. Lord, like the favorite toy we receive at Christmas, may our first desire is to go out and show it off to everybody. May we do so with great delight and joy this week. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And God's people said, Amen.